Psalm 61. And we'll begin reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, Hear my cry, O God, attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings, Salah. For thou, O God, hast heard my vows. Thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. He shall abide before God forever. O prepare mercy and truth which may preserve him. So will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. Let's bow for prayer, then you can be seated. Father, Lord, we want to thank you once again for the privilege to be in the house of God. Thank you for the good singing that we've heard tonight. Thank you for this pastor and these people. I pray, Lord, your blessings be upon them. I ask you, Lord, now to touch the reading of thy word, speak to our hearts in a personal manner. Lord, help us, Lord, tonight to open our heart and receive with meekness the engrafted word. Oh, God, I pray tonight that you would move in a mighty way. Lord, if there would be one here tonight lost, I pray that they would be saved. Those, Lord, that are backslid, May you warm their heart and bring them back to the place of revival. Encourage the discouraged and strengthen the weary. And dear God, we'll love you and praise you and thank you for what you do. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated tonight. I want to take just a moment and give you just a a, a general background of Psalm 61 because uh, I think it's very important that we know what's behind the psalm and not just who wrote the psalm, but why that he wrote the psalm. And when you come to Psalm 61, uh, this is a psalm of David, and David wrote this psalm as he wrote many of his psalms at a very critical point in David's life. I think that David found great comfort in the writing of the psalms when it seemed like adversity and trouble was at its most in David's life. So when we come to Psalms chapter 61 here, uh, David has written this time at a, at a, this psalm at a time when uh, it seems like Absalom has rebelled against him. And David has heard the news. You know the story of Absalom when he rebelled against David. He stole the hearts of the men of Israel. But then you know that Absalom was on the run as well as David was at one point. And Joab comes and takes Absalom's life and he brings the message back to David that Absalom has been killed. Now the killing of Absalom uh, proved one thing about the life of Joab, and that is that he did not know the heart of the king. Amen. Because David had already forgiven Absalom once, and David would have found gave mercy, and he would have found grace, and Absalom would have found grace in David's eyes again. Absalom would have, or David would have forgave Absalom again uh, had he uh, come back to him. But Joab took his life, and David is weeping in this psalm here. His heart is overwhelmed for two reasons. Number one, his heart is overwhelmed because of the loss of his son. And I don't think there would be any greater tragedy or any more uh, uh, overwhelming news that you and I could receive as a parent than one of the, the than to hear the news of the loss of one of our children. Amen. And so David's heart is overwhelmed because of the loss of his son. And then his heart is overwhelmed secondly because he knows that this tragedy has not just come into his life by chance or circumstance circumstance, but he knows that it's probably no doubt the result of his own sin. Amen. He knows that the, the uh, Nathan had given him that uh, word. Nathan the prophet had said to him that the sword would never depart out of his house. And now he hears more tragic news uh, uh, that involves another one of his children. So David is experiencing this overwhelming feeling. Notice what he said in verse number two. He said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock 
that is higher than I. David realizes that he is overwhelmed. But he also realizes something else. That just because he's overwhelmed, it does not mean that he has to be overtaken. Amen? And so I want to preach a few minutes tonight on this subject, on the rock of my soul. Amen? The rock of my soul. David said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Amen? Now, if you want to know who that rock is, I'll tell you tonight, the very rock that David declares in Psalm 61 and verse number 2 is the rock that he describes in Psalm 62 and verse number 2. Look what he said in Psalm 62 and verse 2. He said, He only is my rock and my salvation. Amen? So he said, When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And then in the next Psalm, he declares that that rock is Jehovah. Amen? And can I tell you what Jehovah is? What Jehovah was to David is what Jesus Christ is to every one of us that are saved tonight. He is the rock of our soul. Amen? And so David is talking about Jehovah in this text. And he realizes that he's overwhelmed, but he does not want to be overtaken. You know, I've met a lot of people in in the Christian life that I've watched things come into their life. And they were as, a saved, they was as much a, a saved as you and I are. They loved God every bit as much as us, perhaps even more. But somewhere along life's way, they allowed the things of life to so overwhelm them that it overtook them. You know, there's one thing I'll never say by the grace of God. You know what that is? Never. I never want to say never. I've watched a lot of people say that down through life. Well, I'll never do that. That'll never happen to me. I'll never go that way. I'll never become what they've become. I'll never do what they've done, only to find out they did worse. Amen. Paul said, he's one of the greatest Christians in all the New Testament. And the Apostle Paul said, to put no confidence in the flesh. Amen. The songwriter had it right when he said, the arm of flesh will surely fail you. You dare not trust your own. And friend, can I tell you tonight, outside the grace of God and the mercy of God, there's no telling what any of us would do tonight. Especially when we get overwhelmed in life. And David, I want you to notice some things about him here as his heart is overwhelmed. I want you to see, first of all, in verse number 1 and 2, notice David's tears. Amen. He said in verse number 1, Hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Notice in those two verses there, that two times in verse number 1, in verse number 1, and again in verse number 2, David uses the word cry. Amen. We see David's tears in these two verses here. David is crying out to God. And that word cry, it can simply be rendered an ear-piercing cry. Amen. It simply means a, a plaintive cry or a ringing cry. In other words, David is crying out with all of his mind. Amen. And when I think about David's tears, I think about the earnestness. Of his tears. Notice what he said. He said in verse number one, hear my cry and notice this, oh God. Hear my cry, oh God. You know, when we use that phrase, oh God, and I'm not using that in vain tonight, but when we say, oh God, I thought about even lost people when they receive tragic news, some overwhelming news. 
It seems like it's just a natural instinct. Even people that don't know God will cry out, Oh God! What they're doing is they're crying out with every bit of their, of their, every fiber of their being. That's an earnest cry is what it is. Uh, it's a desperate cry. And here we see that David's tears is not just, uh, they're not just casual tears, but we see here the eagerness of those tears uh, as David is saying, Hear my cry, oh God. Can I tell you that's what we need back in the house of God? We need some tears back in the house of God. Amen. I like the amens and the praise the Lord's and the hallelujahs. I, I like it when people shout and magnify God. But can I tell you something? We've learned how to shout and we've forgotten how to weep. Amen. And brother, I'm for shouting, but we need some tears back in the house of God. And David says in this psalm here, he said, Lord, these are not just tears, but these are some eager tears. Oh God, would you hear my cry? They're earnest tears. They're eager tears. Look what he said in verse number one. He said, hear my cry, oh God. Notice what he said, attend unto my prayer. You see, David is not just earnest. These tears are not just earnest, but they're eager tears. David is eager for God to do what? To attend unto his prayer. He wants God's attention. Amen. You know, sometimes we pray, but there's no eagerness in our prayers. Have you ever prayed a prayer and got up and felt no different than when, than when you went down? Have you ever prayed a prayer and the Holy Ghost say to you, you need to go back and do that again? Amen. You see, we don't pray to, uh, to inform God. The Bible said your heavenly Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask. And we don't pray to impress God. Amen. Uh, listen, God already knows. And, and so, uh, listen, uh, we, we said use not vain repetition, but we do pray to invite Him. Isn't that right? As we mentioned the other night. And so David says here, he says, God, I really want your attention. And I think when we pray, we ought to pray with the attitude of eagerness that God, I really want to get a hold of you. It's not hard to get a hold of God. But the, listen, the, the wall that may be there is not on heaven's part. It's on our part. Amen. It's only when we get desperate that we get a hold of him. Amen. And so David's tears are eager tears. They're earnest tears. And then I want you to notice they're endless tears. He said in verse number 2, From the end of the earth will I cry unto thee. In other words, David said, God, I'm not going to stop weeping until I get your attention. I'm not going to stop shedding tears until I see the hand of God go to work. I wish we could get that back in our churches. We give up too easy when it comes to praying. We pray and we quit. Can I tell you something about Jesus? Every prayer, as I mentioned the other morning, that He ever prayed was answered. But even Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed and He went a little further. And then He went a little further. What about Jesus struggling in prayer? When you think about one who had all of his prayers ever answered. But here's, we find in this text that uh, Jesus did not find satisfaction in the first time he prayed. He showed us here that even in our Lord's prayer life, there must be perseverance, there must be an eagerness, there must be a determination to not quit until you see the results that needed to be saw. And can I tell you tonight, that's how it is with all of us. Uh, it's not that God is playing hard to get. It's that God is trying to bring us to that point where that we empty ourselves out and we we give him all of ourselves, and there's that's where David is at here. He said, "God, listen, I'm serious about this. I'm not going to quit weeping and praying until I get an answer." Amen. 
So we see here that these tears are endless. It's good to shed tears on an altar. I pray that someone tonight, I want to be sincere, not because I'm saying this, but I pray that someone will weep on the altar tonight. I'll tell you what else I'm praying, that they don't end here. Oftentimes the altar in the church is where they stop. God wants to see them here, but God wants to see them in our home. He wants to see them in our hearts. Amen. And these are endless tears. And then I see that they're encouraging tears. Look what he said in verse number 2. He said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Yes, David is praying. Yes, David is weeping. Yes, David is crying out. But there is encouragement in David's heart that David knows that when his heart is overwhelmed, he will find that rock. You say, well, what's going to lead David to that rock? I'll tell you what's going to lead him. It's those tears. Amen. David knows that if I weep, Jehovah is a God of compassion. He knows that His mercies are new every morning. He knows that those tears is a language that God understands. Uh, Spurgeon said they're liquid prayers. Amen. And I believe that. That when we weep, uh, uh, we get a hold of God. Uh, And if there's anything we need tonight, we need our tears back. Amen. When's the last time you've wept? When's the last time you've cried? When's the last time you really had a burden? I see here tonight David's tears. But secondly, I want you to notice in verse number 3, I want you to see David's tower. Amen. Look what David said here. He said, For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower from the enemy. When David talks about this tower tonight, he looks at this as a providential perspective. He said, for thou hast been a shelter for me, a strong tower. David realizes that God has been everything that he ever needed him to be. And can I tell you tonight, that's exactly who God has been in my life. He's been a tower. Amen. I'm talking about freeing the... Listen, even in a past perspective, I can look back at my life and I can see times when I needed a place to go to, when I needed a strong tower in my life. And that's who God has been, and that's who God will be. Amen. Now, when David talks about this tower, he talks about him in verse number 3 as a place of shelter. He said, for thou hast been a shelter for me. You think about a shelter tonight. This building is a shelter, isn't that right? I mean, this building tonight, we know it's the house of God, but we also know it's a shelter. And you know what this is? It's a place of protection from the elements of the world. Amen. You know, you build a shelter over things that are valuable. Isn't that right? You put things that are are important to you in a shelter. Amen. What you're trying to do is protect it from the heat, from the storm, from the wind, uh, from the water, from the cold. Amen. You're trying to protect it from all the elements on the outside that can bring danger to it. And can I tell you, that's what God is to us tonight. He's a shelter in the time of storm. Amen. He's a shelter when the heat's turned up in our life. Uh, He's a shelter from the elements of the world uh, that would destroy our life. Had it not been for God, the psalmist said, had it not been for the Lord who was on our side. And can I tell you, I don't know where I'd be at tonight if it wasn't for the shelter that helps me in this walk of life. You know, my children were growing up. I would hear people say sometime, and I'm sure you've heard this, oh, you're trying to shelter them. That's absolutely right. I sheltered my children till I walked them down the aisle. I didn't care what the world said about it. I didn't care what liberal uh, so-called Christians thought about it. I sheltered them. And I told them I sheltered them. 
And I told them why we sheltered them. We sheltered them because they're valuable to us. I mean, listen, friend, I'm not the smartest person in the world, but listen, you don't buy a $50,000 bass boat and just pull it out in the middle of the field somewhere and just let it sit there through the heat and the rain. What about the people that will make fun of you for for sheltering your children, but yet they'll build a shelter and they'll put, listen, they'll put it in a climate-controlled building, a bass boat. They care more about the things, the material things of this world than they do the blessings of God. I, I say to every parent, if you love your children, you will shelter your children. Amen. And don't hang your head low when somebody says that. All they're telling you is when they don't shelter their children, they're just telling you they don't care what happens to them. Amen. They don't care what the elements of the world does to them. And I'm telling you, if you love something, if something's important, if it's valuable to you, then you shelter that. Amen. I'm going to tell you, it explains to us how valuable we are to God. That He would shelter us. In fact, preacher, I never thought about it till just now. But I think it's a disappointment to God and a disgrace that God would shelter His children and that we wouldn't shelter ours. What a poor testimony that would be in the life of a believer. And he says that you've been a shelter. He's, and then also he talks about that he's been a place of strength. Look what he's saying. For thou hast been a shelter for me and a strong tower. Not just a tower, but a strong tower. That that tells me that no matter the, the outcome, no matter the storm, no matter the tragedy that lies ahead, the tower's always more stronger than the trial or the trouble or the tragedy or the temptation. You don't have to worry about the foundation of this tower. You don't have to worry about this tower crumbling. You don't have to worry about this tower leaning. Amen? You don't have to worry about this tower faltering as long as you're in it. And thank God if you're saved, you are in it. Amen? You're in Christ and Christ is in you. That's the hope of glory. Amen. I want to tell you, my friend, this tower is a strong tower. You and I couldn't withstand the pressures of this world. We couldn't withstand the trials and the troubles of this life. But the tower can take anything that you put in front of it. Hallelujah. You know, I think about tonight, we've often made this statement, but I don't think it's a true statement. We would say, I've been guilty of saying in times past that God would not put on us more than what we're able to bear. But I don't think that's true. I think God puts on us more than we're able to bear. But I don't think He ever puts more on us than what He's able to bear. Because He can bear anything. He's a strong tower. And David said, you've been a place of shelter. And then he said, you've been a place of strength. And what David is saying is, I'm not running in my own strength, but I'm going to run in the strength of this one that's helped me along life's way. And you've been a place of shelter. And you've been a place of strength. But then notice this tower. He said, you've been a place of safety. Amen. He said in verse number 3, you've been a a strong tower from the enemy. You know, we have an enemy tonight. Our enemy's the devil. And tonight, Lucifer would have put every one of us in the grave before the sun set, if he could have. Lucifer would have destroyed your lives and mine and our children. 
Lucifer is not our friend. The biggest lie the devil ever convinced a young person of is that he loves them and that he's their friend. The devil's not your friend tonight. He's the enemy. Amen. And Jesus made that very clear. But I'm glad that we've got a tower. We've got a place of safety from the enemy. I'm glad that God watches over us. I'm glad He takes care of us. Amen. In times, you know, when we get to heaven, we're going to shout over what we have seen, but I think we're going to shout over what we couldn't see. Amen. There's a lot of blessings in life. I can say that God, I can see the hand of God, but there's a lot of times He's done things that I can't see and that you can't see, but I thank Him for what I can't see tonight. Amen. I'm just simply saying that God is a tower. He's a place of safety tonight. Do you know what happens to people when they get out of the will of God? Why that's so dangerous? It's because they're getting outside that safety net. Brother, tonight time would not let me tell you the stories, and every pastor could. Ten years you've been here, right? I'm sure you've got many stories, illustrations of people that have got out of the will of God, and the end result of that is their life fell apart. You know, I could tell you of a family tonight. A lady came to me one time and she said, Preacher, she said, you think this is the only place, Bible Baptist Church is the only place you can be a member of and be in the will of God. I said, for you, absolutely, that's right. Amen. I told her that. She said, well, I think I could go to another good church and be in the will of God. I said, no, you can't. I said, if, if it's not doctrine, distance, or death, and distance means two hours away. I said, you ain't got a Bible reason to leave this church. Disqualification would be one. I said, you don't have a reason. She said, why do you think? I said, I'll tell you why. I said, God saved you in this church. He saved your husband here. He saved your, he saved your daughter here. He saved your two brothers here. He saved your father here. I said, why would you want to go anywhere else? You know what she did? She moved the family. Tonight her husband's in prison. Her daughter's a homosexual. They're divorced and her life's in shambles. Now, friend, I'm not telling you an exception to the rule. I'll tell you about a man. I'm talking about somebody I pastored 10 years. I'll tell you about a man that I pastored 17 years. Got saved in our church. Went off to prison. Doing drugs. Got saved. Went off to prison for about two years. Doing great while he was in prison. Got out of prison. Brought an old boy, one to God, that lived two miles from him. They didn't know each other, but they went in the same day. They got out the same day. Lived two miles from each other. He brought that boy to church. I watched that young man. I watched God call him to preach. Then then married him and his wife in our church. And then God gave him three beautiful children. And I mean, listen, he'd stand up in church, testify and shout, and God used him tonight. He's a drunk. His family's all to pieces. After 17 years... Of being his pastor. You say, what happened to him? He got out of God's safety net. See, it's not the church of your choice. It's where God puts you. Amen. Naomi, she destroyed her whole family. You know why? Because she left the place of blessing. And David realized that God is, is, is his safety. I see David's tower. Then I see David's trust. Look what he said in verse number 4. He said, I will abide in thy tabernacle forever. I will trust in the covert of thy wings. David says here, he goes back. David was a worshiper. You know that. 
long before David was a shepherd boy, long before he was ever a soldier, before he was ever a king, before he was ever a father, David was a worshiper. It never got out of David's heart all the days of his life. David worshipped. What was the first thing David did when he became king? He wanted to establish worship back in Jerusalem. Bring the ark back into the place of worship. David danced in the streets that day because he was so excited. And David is in trouble. And David knows that Absalom has broken his heart. And David realizes that there's comfort in worship in the presence of God. He said, he talks about the tabernacle. He talks about the covered of thy wings. Talking about the those cherubims that were over the mercy seat and talking about that place where the presence of God dwell. And David, what I see here is David's determination. Notice in verse number 4 that two times David uses the phrase, I will. He said, I will abide in thy tabernacle. I will trust in, thy, in the cover of thy wings. You say, preacher, what are you saying? I'm simply saying this tonight, that there's determination in David's heart that even though he's overwhelmed, he's not going to be overtaken. He's going to keep his faith in God. He's going to trust God. He's going to keep on worshiping God in spite of what's happening in his life. You know, the easiest thing to do when hard times come is to get slack on God. I've seen it as a pastor. I've watched people hard times come and start coming in late for Sunday school. And I just go to them. I say, hey, you can't start being late for Sunday school. And they say, well, preacher, I'm just going through all this. I said, well, you still need Sunday school. And then they then they they quit singing in the choir sometimes. You know what I started doing a few probably ten years ago. We sing one opening song before the choir comes up. Sometimes we'll sing two opening songs. Depends on how many choir members are missing in the choir. And I just stand on the edge of the. They know I'm going to do it. I do it every. I'm going to stand on the edge right here and I look out and if I see one of them sitting right there, I'm like, hey, come on, come on. And I'll just point until they, till they know I'm pointing at them. And the people start turning around like, come on, come on to the choir. And then they'll do this and be like, you ever seen them do that? You know what I do to them? Come on, I'll pray for you. I make such a scene that if they don't come, everybody in the church knows that, well, the pastor wanted them in the choir. And they didn't come. So now I, they know, I point at them. They're like, okay, we're coming. You know, one, I got up there one night and there's 15 members missing. I just stopped first song. I said, they were all sitting out there. I said, are y'all on vacation? Amen. Did the choir split and nobody tell me? I said, we're going to have a word of prayer. All 15 of y'all come on up here. I don't care if you're sick. Come on anyway. I don't care if you, if you're not, listen, if you're not running a temperature of 105, you ought to be at church and you ought to be in a choir. Somebody say amen. That's what they make knuckle for. Amen. You say, well, I'll sleep in church. Won't be the first time. Amen. It won't bother us. I'd rather have a sleepy saint as no saint. Amen. Isn't that right? You say, why? Well, I, I just, you know, no, you know why we push you? There's got to be some determination. You see, God will do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. But He will not do for us what we can do for ourselves. And I think a lot of serving God's raw determination. I appreciate the people that come on Wednesday night when they don't feel like being there. 
I appreciate the people that come on up to the choir. There's people singing in the choir that don't need to be singing in our choir. we got some folks in their late 80s, and if they quit singing in the choir, I wouldn't blame them because maybe due to health or maybe they're not able to walk up the steps, but they're the ones that keep on going. Amen? It's a 25- and 30-year-old one. you got to keep pushing and prodding. And I tell them, I say, hey, if you're not under 85, you ought to be on up here anyway. Amen? I mean, you say, well, preacher, that's just... No, listen, if your preacher doesn't push you, if he doesn't keep it before you, he knows this. Uh, your church will die like every other church has. Uh, I'm telling you, when people lose their determination to keep on serving God, they lose their drive. Amen. And David's determined. And I see not only his determination, but his delight, and that is to be in the presence of God. But notice this in verse number, notice in verse number five, down to verse number seven. I see David's testimony. And I'm not going to elaborate these verses, but I want you to just see one thing in these verses here. Notice in verse number 5, David tells us that God has prevailed for David. He said, For thou, O God, hast heard my vows, thou hast given me the heritage of those that fear thy name. Then he says in verse number 6 that God has prolonged him, or will prolong him. Thou wilt prolong the king's life and his years as many generations. And then he tells us in verse 7 that God has prepared mercy and truth and has preserved him. Notice what David says. He says, God, he says, you have prevailed for me. You prolonged me. You, you have, you have prepared mercy and truth. And, and God, you have preserved my life. This is what David's testimony is. And here's what I want you to see about that. Is that David is not testifying about David. David is testifying about God. I want to ask you a question tonight. What's your testimony when you get overwhelmed? Are you one of these, and I'm sure you're not, but have you ever seen one of these saints come to church and they're overwhelmed? Hadn't they nothing wrong with coming to the altar and weeping? But have you ever seen one of these saints come to the church when they're overwhelmed and they get up and they, they want to testify and all they do is brag on the devil? I tell them in our church, hey now, anybody got a good positive testimony? Amen. In other words, if you're depressed, stay in your seat and let all the happy people pray for you. Say, well, preacher, that's hard. No. You ever been in a good service when people were testifying and God was moving and getting the glory and then somebody got up and killed it? Yes, sir. They got up and they started talking about, you know, whether bursitis or they got talking about their, you know, their ingrown toenail or they got talking about, you know, I don't know. They got to talking about all these ailments and, hey, when it's prayer request time, shell them out. That's what I say. Amen. I'm talking about, listen, to testify means to magnify. It means to glorify. It means to uplift. Isn't that right? I've seen some good services killed because somebody got up and they began to just talk about all their sicknesses. And help. Hey, we've all got enough to depress everybody. Isn't that right? I'm talking about, but you know what? Or they would get up and spend ten minutes bragging on the devil. They'd say something like, well, you know, the devil sure has given me a hard time this week. He sure has been riding my back. He sure has been on me. I tell you, the devil's... That don't help nobody. Is that right? Don't give the devil no credit. That's what he wants. Amen. We're not worshiping the devil tonight. We're worshiping God. Amen. I like to hear them people get up and say, well, you know, things had not quite went the way I thought they would, but God's been better to me than what I deserve. He's done far more than what I ever expected. And I may have not had a good day, but my worst day serving God is still a thousand times better than my best day living for the devil. Amen. Don't that lift you up? Don't that show faith? And that's a good testimony. And David is overwhelmed. But David's not belly aching about David. David is magnifying God. 
God. Amen. It's all through the Psalms. David got a hold of a great principle. That no matter where David was at, no matter what David was facing, no matter what David did, David knew that praise to Jehovah was always in order. I wish we could get a hold of that. Even on a Monday morning, a blue Monday, God ought to be praised. There's some people I ask how they're doing, and there's some people I ask like this. I brace myself. And then there's others I flat out don't even ask them. I pray for them. But I never ask them how they're doing because I already know they're not doing well. If you gave them a million dollars, they wouldn't be happy. Isn't that right? I mean, if you gave them a clean bill of health, a clean bill of health, they'd worry about when they were was sick and when when they wouldn't be going to get sick. I mean, some people the only time they're happy is when they're miserable. Amen. I mean, they love misery. I told a young lady that one time in my church at 25 years old, and she's always miserable. I mean, she's one of them get up and give a testimony and kill it dead at four o'clock. And so uh, she got. She, listen, she was all miserable one day, and I told her, I said, "Hey, you need to suck it up." Isn't that right? Now, if that bothers you, it's because it's bothering you. She said, but I said, don't but preacher me. I said, you're 25 years old. You're healthy as a horse. Amen. You don't have any bills. Your dad pays all your bills. You got a King James Bible. I think you got Jesus in your heart. You go to a good Bible-believing church and you live in the land of the free. What in the world? Have you got to complain about? Isn't that right? Most of us, we don't have it as bad as we think we do. I'll tell you the other side of that coin. Little old lady, she's in heaven now. That was her pastor. She died at, I think she lived to be 101, I think, Miss Pauline. 100, 101. I was, she was standing at the back of the foyer one day years ago. She was getting a CD. I went to her and said, Miss Pauline, what are you doing? She was looking at some of the CDs on TV. She said, oh, preacher, I'm trying to find a CD. I know somebody that's real discouraged. I'm trying to encourage them. I'm going to tell you something about this lady. She buried her husband and three of her children. And here she was looking for something to be a help and encouragement to somebody else. What's your testimony tonight? I'm not saying when you get overwhelmed, you shouldn't weep. I'm not saying when you get overwhelmed, you shouldn't ask people to pray for you. I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with calling somebody up and saying, hey, I just need somebody to talk to. There's nothing wrong with that. What I'm saying is, just because we're overwhelmed, we don't have to be overtaken. Then I see finally David's thanksgiving in verse number 8. Look what he said. He said, so will I sing praise unto thy name forever that I may daily perform my vows. You know what I see about David's thanksgiving? Look at verse number 8. First of all, it involves singing. He said, so will I sing. That's interesting, preacher. Because David starts out crying in verse 1 and 2. But he ends up singing. What started out tears of sorrow became tears of joy. Old brother Ed Ballou said, every bird sings but a buzzard. Amen. I'm going to tell you something. If you're saved, you ought to have a song tonight. And I see that it involves, this Thanksgiving involves singing. It involves steadfastness. David, how long are you going to sing? He said, well, I'll sing 
His praise is unto His name forever. David said, I'm not just going to sing on the mountain. I'm going to sing in the valley. And he was in a valley here. David said, the God of the good times, He's still God in the bad times. And then it involves service. Notice what he said here in verse number 8, that I may daily perform my vows. You know what David was all about when it comes to worship? To David, worship involves sacrifice and involves service. You know what this modern generation is looking for today? They're looking for a convenient worship. A worship that requires no commitment. A worship that requires no sacrifice. And absolutely no service. I'm going to tell you, this is not for everybody, but it is in a lot of cases. You look across most of your churches today, what's kept the doors open. You know, the emphasis is always on the young people. We need the young people. They're the church of tomorrow. And I, I agree with that. I'm going to tell you what's kept the doors open in our churches in these last these last two decades. It's been your World War II veterans. Amen. It's been a generation that has built factories and fought wars. That was poor. Didn't know, knew what it was to have nothing and worked a lifetime to have what they have. You got another generation come along. They've never worked for anything. They think they're entitled to everything. They think everybody owes them something. They want, they want now what it took that crowd 40 and 50 years to get. They want it now. And I'm going to tell you, it's crept and bled into churches. The level of uncommitment amongst millennials today is staggering. And if you're a millennial sitting here today, thank God you're not like that. But you ought to look at your own generation and say, by the grace of God, find you one of them old World War II because there's not many of them left. Find you one of them veterans, one of them gray-haired saints, and say, I want to be like them. I may get overwhelmed, but by God's grace, let that be your testimony tonight. I don't want to be over, I don't want to be overtaken tonight.